Well, there's, uh, there's this interesting thing that happens, and it doesn't happen every single, every single time that I prepare a message, but I've been a pastor now for 11 and a half years, and there's this unique thing that happens quite a bit that it's not just like occasional, that God tends to line up in my life, and that it's this, that, that often the, the passages that I'm studying to preach through, whether that's to hear or in other settings, the, the passages that I'm really wrestling and the topics that I'm wrestling with, as I'm in the midst of doing that, God brings certain circumstances into my life where I get to immediately apply the things that I'm preparing to talk to you guys about on a Sunday night. And this last week was no different. No joke, I was, uh, I was in my office this Tuesday morning. I'm a morning person and I get my best work done. So I'm normally in the office around 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. That's when most of my message prep is done. I'm there, I'm in my office. I have no joke, probably six books on Habakkuk. You didn't know there were that many books even written on this tiny book, but there are. Right, the six books on my, on my table open. I, I've been studying. I've been reading for a couple hours. I've got an outline going. I'm getting excited for this message tonight. That there had been uh, there had been something in my life uh, that my wife and I had been really seeking God's direction and God's will on, and and we've been really praying. This isn't like one of those things that if you remember to pray about it, you pray about it. This is like the thing that's like near at the front of the things that we've been praying for, and we really sense that hey, maybe maybe this is the the direction that God's leading us. Maybe this is how God's causing us to answer that prayer. And and we were getting excited and I was getting excited about that. And I'm literally, I'm reading the passage that we're going to study tonight. And I get a phone call at about 9.15, 9.30 on Tuesday morning. And I thought everything was headed this way for several months. I've been praying it and it was clear, nope. How I thought God was leading, how I thought things were going to turn out, suddenly it goes and it just flips back the total opposite way. It was one of those times where I had to hang up the phone. I sat there in my office for about a minute and I was like, I just got to go walk around because if someone comes into my office, I wouldn't even know what to say. I can't talk right now. Like, have you ever had that happen where you get news where you just, you're just confused? You're confused because it's, it's, it's something that you thought God was leading its direction, that you thought God was going, and suddenly, just like that, you're like, well, I guess, I guess not. I guess not. And so I come to you tonight um, to preach this message from you, and my only hope tonight is that what I share with you has been helpful and through God's word as it has been to me this past week. And by no means do I have life figured out since Tuesday. By the way, in case you ask, there's no like serious medical conditions, no one's dying, there's, it's nothing like that, all right? Um, but, but it was still a thing in my life that still, I, I'm, I'm still right now kind of in the midst of the confusion, if that makes sense. I, I, don't, I don't really understand still. I don't have clarity that I can look and be like, oh, God was doing, I don't, I don't really know right now. And so this passage that we're going to dive into tonight, the title of the outline for, for this passage is, is um, Keys to Following God in Confusing Times. Keys to following God in confusing times. And if you have your Bibles tonight, I would encourage you, why don't you open them up to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk, that's in your Old Testament. If you need to use the table of contents to find this one, there is no shame in that. It's only three chapters, so it's easy to miss if you, if you flip past it. And we started last week with a study in the book of Habakkuk, and we'll, we'll debrief what that was real quick because it sets us up for tonight. So Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a prophet amongst God's people, and it was a very wicked time in the land. 
And so Habakkuk cried out to God, and he really cried out to God with two questions. Number one, God, how long is this going to go on? How long are you gonna people, your people going to live in wickedness and sin? How long is this going to happen? And then secondly, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen to your people? And God responds in verse 5. He says, I'm going to do something that if I were to have told you before, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk was probably like, oh yes, what are you going to do? And God's like, I'm going to use the most wicked nation on the planet to be my tool to come and to judge you. The most wicked, heathen, gruesome people, I'm going to use them to come and judge my people because of their sin. God does an absolutely amazing thing, but he probably confused Habakkuk as well. Well, the passage tonight in Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to be starting at verse 12. It, it moves forward. We don't know the exact time frame, but by this point, this invading army that, that God had prophesied about in the first chapter that we looked at last week has come. And they've arrived, and now God's people are under the oppression of the Babylonians. And so with that context that, that Habakkuk cried out to God, and we talked about how we should be honest with those doubts, with those hard questions, and God does something, and, but Habakkuk, in the midst still of this confusion, because he doesn't understand what God's doing, he cries out again to God in the second half of chapter 1. Starting at verse 12, it says this. Habakkuk 1.12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So we're going to look tonight at three keys to following God in confusing times. And the first key to following God in, in confusion is first is to start with what you know of God. Start with what you know to be true of God in your life. I love that Habakkuk models this for us, and it's certainly not the only place we see this in Scripture. That he looks out, he looks at God's working, and he's like, I don't... I don't understand what, what's going on. I don't understand what's going on out there. For some of us, it's I don't understand what's going on in my life. And Habakkuk shows us when we live in times that straight up are confusing, where we can't make sense of what's going on in our lives, of what God is doing, the first place that we should go is we should go back to who God is and what we know God says about himself. And so look at what Habakkuk does before he cries out to God again, before he questions God, which he will, but he, he frames his problem, he frames his question with who he knows to be true of God. So Habakkuk starts, God, you are the everlasting God. You are the everlasting God, meaning like you've always existed. You've existed eternally in the past and you'll exist eternally in the future. This doesn't catch you offhand. You're not surprised, God, by what's happening. You have always existed. And notice the second thing he says is, O Lord my God, my Holy One. He recognizes that he knows that God is a God who is set apart from sin, who has nothing to do with evil and sin in the world, who cannot sin because it goes against his character. He leans on God's promises that God had given to the people of Israel. That's why he says, we shall not die. 
What he means there isn't that people won't physically die, but God had made promises to them. Specifically, what Habakkuk might be thinking of here is he's saying, listen, the Messiah has yet to come from us. We're not all going to be wiped out. Because the Old Testament is filled with promises of the Messiah coming through his people and the Messiah hasn't yet come. So God, I, you're not going to wipe us out entirely. We're not going to all die. He looks at what God's promises have been. He says, God, you will be faithful to those promises. And again, he, like God's holiness, he says, God, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and you cannot look at wrong. He sees the purity of God and that God is a God who is pure. The New Testament says God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. See, when we can't make sense of God's ways in the world, the best thing that we can do is to rest in God's character. When we can't make sense of God's ways and what God is doing in the world, the best thing for us to do is to rest into God's character. I love as one commentator put it, they, they said, we can either frame God with our problems or frame our problems with God. We can either frame God with our problems or frame our problems with God. And by resting in God's character, it means that we don't start to panic, but we start first to turn to who we know God to be. And by reminding ourselves of who God is, what his word promises, what we've seen in our lives, it helps us to start to frame the confusion that goes on around us. See, there's so many ways that we could think about this. But one way for me, as I was thinking this week, is when I was in high school, I played a high school sport, probably like many of us who were on sports teams when we were in high school. And I played high school basketball. I have always loved basketball. I grew up in suburban Los Angeles in the days of Magic, Kareem, Kobe, and Shaq. It was easy to love basketball when you lived in Southern California and your team won championships every year. But as a high schooler tends to do, and I would know because I've worked with high schoolers for well over a decade, sometimes high schoolers tend to think they know everything there is to know. Have you ever met a teenager like that? They, they, there's one or two of them out there still, right? They tend to think they know, and like I tended to think I knew all there was to know about basketball. But sometimes my high school basketball coach would tell us to do things, and I'm like, you know what? I think all I need to do to be a better basketball player is just to shoot. Running laps? I don't know if I need to do that. Right? Our coach would come in, and we would practice for hours defense. I'm like, come on, defense? Well, there's not even a ball here. Why do we need to get down in defensive position and practice our stance? Footwork? Why do we need to practice this? But what do I had to keep reminding myself is, all right, my, my coach— he probably does know more about this than I do. So even though I don't understand why he's making us do these silly footwork drills, eventually I just have to trust, well, he must know that it will be better for me down the road because he wants us to win. He wants us to succeed. See, when we don't see what God's doing, when we don't know why God is allowing the things into our lives that he's allowing, we need to just remind ourselves of who God is to us who God is in our lives. And as we start to think of who God is, his character towards us, it starts to shape our thoughts and our attitudes towards the problems that we have in our life. So how do we do this practically? How do we help remind ourselves in difficult times of who God is? One simple way which cannot be replaced certainly with anything else is going to Scripture. 
God's word is a clear and evident reminder for us in all times of who God has revealed himself to be. The New Testament says that all that we need for life and holiness and godliness is contained in this book. It reveals who God is in this world to us. And oftentimes God's word contradicts the lies that we tell ourselves about God and the lies that we tell ourselves about us. And we need God's word to remind us of who he is, of what he has done. And is, as we do that, it starts to shape and start and get us back over to who God is. And it frames our problems according to the character of God. Another way that we can practically do this in our life is through prayer. It's through prayer. I love that, that Rachel prayed that prayer from the Old Testament that modeled this, that, that they went back and he remembered who God was. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, they started the prayer with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be most holy and glorified here on the earth. Jesus, in teaching us how to pray, starts with saying, hey, don't, don't, it's not as if God's forgotten who he is, but we forget. We forget who God is. We forget his character and his love towards us. And so in prayer, we remind ourselves of who God is. I don't know about you, but when life is hard for me, sometimes it's hard to pray. Sometimes it can be even more difficult to pray, to, sit, to make that a priority. And I was just reminded this week from my own personal life that sometimes when it's hardest to pray is when we need to do it the most. Sometimes when we don't want to pray, we don't want to talk to God, that's when we actually need it the most. And as we pray, we, we remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done in our world. Another tool that, that God used powerfully in my life this week is the tool of music and musical worship to God. After the phone call um, that I got on Tuesday, I, I was home and I tend to be... Um, I tend to be someone who on most of my commutes when I'm home doing chores, when I'm working out, I'm a, I'm a podcast guy. I have a long list of podcasts and I love listening to podcasts. After Tuesday, I'm, I don't think I listened to a podcast this week. It was just a lot of music. It was a lot of worship music continuing to remind myself of who God is because that's what I needed in my life. There was one song that, that every time it would play, I would like, as it would end, I would hit back. I'm like, play that one again. Play that one again. And I just love the words. Um, it just, this, the song starts, it says, give me eyes to see more of who you are and may what I behold still my anxious heart. Take what I've known and break it all apart for you, my God, are greater still. And often music can be a powerful tool as we remind ourselves of who God is in the world. I forgot that we were singing that second song tonight. TK told me that earlier this week. But, but I, I remember a story. I don't remember her name who wrote Desert Song that we sang. Um, in all of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. If my mind serves me correctly, she wrote that song, the, the author did, a few weeks after she had a premature birth and her baby passed away. And she said, I need to worship God. And there's nothing out there that, so I'm just going to write a song from my heart that will be worshiped to God in the midst of this pain and confusion and heartbreak and trouble. And that's the song that she wrote. 
See, often music has a powerful tool to remind us of who God is. See, this week for me, as, as I had plans and I thought things were going this way and God said, nope, not like that, what did I have to tell myself? I had to be like, all right, listen, Michael, you know, you know that God loves you. You know that God loves you. Okay, I know that. You know that God doesn't make mistakes. Like, yeah, I do. I, I know that God's not up there making mistakes. And, and literally I had to go through and remind myself one by one, you know God is good. You know God's faithful. You know God will be there with you no matter. And I had to remind myself this week of all these promises of God. And the more that I leaned into and reminded myself of who God was, the more that the problems and the confusion in my life, it's, it's not perfect, I don't understand it, but the more that I've been able to just humble myself and to start to accept God's will amidst the confusion and the uncertainty of my own life. And so this week, if you're feeling confused, if you're here tonight and there's circumstances in your life that you're not sure what's going on or how to make sense of it, can I just encourage you tonight to lean into who God is? And if you're struggling tonight, just who, who do you know God to be that he's revealed himself? Maybe for you, you can just hold on to one thing, but that's enough, that God is a God who loves you. That God's a God who won't leave you. The God's a God who is strong and who's powerful. But what do you need to remind yourself about who God is tonight? Because as we frame our problems with who God is, it helps us in the midst of confusion. So Habakkuk starts with that and then he continues. Verse 13 says this, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why... Do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Just like he did in the first complaint, in the second complaint to God, he asks God, why? God, why? Why do you sit back now and look at what's happening and you don't stop it? Right? It's, it seems to be that what's from his perspective, what's going on from Habakkuk is it's like, hey, this cure that you've sent the Babylonians, they're worse than the disease that was here to begin with. Like the disease of sin was bad and now what you've sent in is even worse. God, why are you letting this happen? Right? It reminds me of those, um, those advertisements for medicine, which is kind of weird that we have to advertise medicine. And then they give the long list of side effects. Right? Like take this heartburn medicine, side effects, dismemberment, and possible death. But take this, right? And Habakkuk's like, God, we just had this problem. And it's like, it seems like the solution is so much worse. God, why have you allowed this to happen? Why is this going on? He continues to describe what's going on in verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. There are ancient things that have been found amongst the Babylonians that give hints that they, for Babylonian deities, they were often portrayed as a god holding a net with all the people that they had conquered captive in it. And Habakkuk may be referencing this as the Babylonians understood themselves as just sweeping through and taking anyone that they wanted. 
Like the Assyrians had before them, the Babylonians, when they conquered people, often as they took them off, would literally put a hook through their lip and take them off. So when Habakkuk writes here that it's like a fish that has been hooked, he's thinking both metaphorically, but he's also thinking literally as well. That They would do this. It says this in verse 16, Therefore they, they rejoice. He sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? He's saying, God, that they worship their tools of warfare because it has brought them wealth and prosperity and it seems like it will never stop. Verse 1 of chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. The second key to following God in the midst of confusion is to search honestly and intently. To search for God honestly and intently. Habakkuk uses this idea, which has been used by Isaiah and Ezekiel and others before him, of, of looking for God as one standing watch post at the tower and looking out. It didn't necessarily mean that Habakkuk was literally going to go to the top on the walls and look out. But it's this image of a soldier, of a sentry standing guard at the top of a tower looking out to see if enemies were approaching. For me, I just think of those really awesome battle scenes in Lord of the Rings. And the guys are up top on the towers looking out for anyone. That's how he says that's his spiritual metaphor of his heart towards looking for God. That he was going to search for God. He's going to look and see the answer about his complaints. See, he was saying that amidst whatever God was doing, he was going to just stand there and faithfully wait no matter what. He was going to faithfully wait no matter what. And life often, like Habakkuk experienced, life involves sometimes just a lot of waiting. Life involves a lot of waiting. And I don't mean because you forgot to get your groceries so the checkout line at Costco is going to take an hour to get through. But I mean waiting for our prayers to get answered, waiting for God to answer about this, waiting for things to change that we see in the world. So how do we wait in a way that honors God? How do we wait for God in a way that honors God and grows our faith? A few, a few things for us. First, waiting on God is not punishment. If you've prayed to God and God hasn't yet answered, waiting on God is not necessarily punishment. Now, I have to say here, sometimes God does punish people by making them wait for things. The most obvious example, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, is when the people of Israel were, had to wander in the desert for so many years as a result of their sin. But if you've prayed to God and he hasn't answered, it doesn't necessarily mean because there's some big sin in your life. The Bible is filled with people who were just consistently faithful following God and they had to wait on God for years and decades for God to answer their prayers, for them to see God show up. And so I just want you to know that if you're in a season of waiting, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong, that, that you're like the only one over here. But a lot of us, are in that season too. We're just waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to act in the world. 
The second thing that I would remind us of tonight is that waiting on God is not permission to sin. Waiting on God is not a permission to sin in our lives. In the Old Testament, the first king over Israel was a man whose name was Saul. And he was ready to go to war to fight against the enemies of Israel. And Samuel was going to first come and offer a sacrifice. But Samuel wasn't on Saul's schedule. And Saul got impatient. So impatient that eventually Saul offered the sacrifice himself. And when Samuel showed up, he said, because of your impatience, because of what you've done, which he knew he wasn't to do, that the kingdom was actually removed from him. And sometimes I know in my life when it seems like I'm in a period where God's not really actively doing a lot, I can try and excuse sin in my life. Because I'm like, man, if God would just act more clearly, then I wouldn't do this. If God would show himself, I wouldn't complain all the time. I wouldn't be a jerk to people. Like if God would just do more stuff, then I would be more like him. Because just because we're in a season where we're not sure what God's doing and it's confusing, it's not a permission for us to sin. And oftentimes when we feel in a waiting season, it's our hearts can be lonely and we're drawn towards sin in our lives to replace God. But when you're waiting, be faithful to God and don't allow it as an excuse to sin. Another reminder for us tonight is that waiting on God is not passive. Waiting on God is not passive. Habakkuk doesn't say, I'm just going to sit here God, and whenever you finally show up, then I'm going to be happy with it. No, but he uses this image of going up to the watchtower and looking out, of searching intently for God and for God's purposes in the world. So as we wait on God, it doesn't just mean that we sit back and like eventually God's going to show up, but we go out and we watch and we look and we pray and we seek after God's will and what God is doing in our world in the midst of confusion. When I think of this idea, difference between waiting in a passive way versus waiting in an active way, my mind went back to this last week, uh, a thing that happened many years ago. So when I started high school, my family moved from Southern California to Northern Michigan. And there were holidays, depending on which region of the country you lived in, that you don't realize are holidays till you get to that region. And just last week, they celebrated this holiday in Northern Michigan, no joke at least back when I was in high school, you got it off of school, November 15th was the day that gun season opened for hunting. And the, the kids get it off of school. Man, that, that does not happen in Chicago, right? Like we don't get anything off in Chicago, let alone for opening season of hunting. And so I had never gone hunting. I'd never really been hunting in my life, but, but my family went hunting. My dad and my grandpa went hunting and we didn't have school. So, so we went as a family and we got like a cabin somewhere. And so we get up early in the morning to go hunting. Now, I don't have a gun with me, but my dad and I sit in a blind and we each have a field on either side of us. And, and when, you're, when you're hunting, you're not just sitting there like, all right, I hope one walks out right in front of us. It'd be really convenient if it's 20 feet away, then we don't have to shoot. No, you're, you're not just sitting there like, wake me up when the deer comes past. You're sitting there and you're looking closely. You're listening for any movement. And I remember as I was sitting there, my dad to my back, I'm on this side. Suddenly I see a deer off in the distance come through. I don't know how far. It was a long ways away. And so my dad is, is quietly turns around and kind of looks over my shoulder. And I can't quite tell if it's a buck or not, if it's antlers. Eventually my dad says, it does. 
But you know, if you've ever gone deer hunting, or if you've been around deer, that if you move much, it spooks them and they run. And so my first morning ever going out hunting, I'm sitting there like this and my dad just whispers to me, don't move. I go, okay. Next thing I know, I see the gun barrel come over my shoulder as my dad, it, it's not like on my head, right? But the, the barrel is right here and I see the end of it. And my dad just whispers again, don't move. So I'm like, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. When suddenly he doesn't tell me when, but there's a loud bang and the deer goes down. All right, and he, and he hits it. But when you deer hunt, when you hunt at all, you're not just passively waiting and watching for something to walk. You're intently searching and looking. And that's this idea that Habakkuk has as the watch, how you're out there looking for God in the world. You're active in watching for God in our world. It's not that we just sit back and eventually God will show up, but we continue to pursue and to seek after him. What I found in my life and, and through periods of waiting that God's brought me through is that often in periods of waiting, God is actually preparing me for the answer that he had for me. And if God had granted my request when I first asked it, I wouldn't have been ready for his answer. But in waiting, God often prepares us for what he has for us. It's like a 12-year-old asking for a car for his birthday. You're going to tell him no. They're going to ask again the next year and the next year and the next year. So eventually they're ready when they're mature, when they're legal, when they're allowed, and then they'll have that responsibility. Sometimes we pray for things and we're frustrated because God says no or he just makes us wait. But I just want to remind you tonight that often in my life, if God had said yes the first time, I would have messed it up. I wouldn't have been ready for that yet. But it says we wait on God and we wait faithfully on God that he prepares us for what he has for us. So Habakkuk cries out to God. He gives this prayer and he says, God, I'm going to watch for you. And God's answer comes here in Habakkuk chapter 2, starting at verse 2. It says this, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, and it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He's saying this answer will come. I'm not going to show it to you quite yet, but I will answer you. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. God here is contrasting the self-reliance of the arrogant with the humility of the faithful. And this third key to following God in confusing times is to seek faithfulness in all circumstances. Seek faithfulness in all circumstances. There's really two ways that we live life that God outlines here. Either one, we live with what he calls a puffed up soul. We either trust ourselves or we trust God. Really, in confusing times, that's what it comes down to. Are you going to trust yourself or are you going to trust in God? Are you going to trust what you think it should be or are you going to trust in God's plan? 
And in the midst of that, he gives this command, the second, the second part of verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who have been set apart for God, those who have placed their faith in God, will live according to that faith that will be transformed in their lives. Faith in God leads to faithful living in the world. And what's amazing is this verse, we may skim past it and it may not seem significant, but it's one of the most significant verses in the New Testament as it looks back to the old. In Romans chapter 1, as Paul lays out the whole scheme of the book of Romans, he says this, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in Habakkuk chapter 2, the righteous shall live by faith. That as Paul lays out the most theologically robust book of the New Testament, the reference back that he's talking about, the how people should always live is based on who they have their faith in. He goes back and he points to this challenge of God to Habakkuk. That if you've been set apart for God, you should be faithful to God in all times. In Galatians chapter 3, it says this, Now it is evident that no one is justified by God before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, talking about how our righteous status before God is always achieved by our faith, not by our actions. And then the author of Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews chapter 10. He says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. There it is again. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He's talking about how in challenging times, we need, just as God challenged Habakkuk to, to live by the faith that we have proclaimed and that God has given us. See, the reality is, is no matter how hard your life might be, no matter how confusing your life may be, no matter how uncertain your life may be, in every situation of life, we can be faithful to God. In every situation of life that you find yourself in, you can be faithful to God right there and then. That no matter what, God's call for those of us who follow him is to be faithful. And when we seek faithfulness in the midst of all things, it starts to put our own problems into perspective. I was struck, I think it was last night, by, by a tweet of someone who there had been some controversy on, Twitter controversy, what else is new in the country this year, right? So there was controversy around someone, a professor, and she, she tweeted this, I think a couple nights ago, she tweeted, my niece isn't a Christian and she's watching this controversy about me. My prayer through all of this is that she just sees the real Jesus. Amazing, isn't it, that she's getting publicly attacked from all over, yet her faithfulness to God has put this in perspective because she just wants her family, those who don't know Jesus, to see God working in her life. Sometimes walking by faith and being faithful to God in confusing times just means that we do what we know God wants us to do this very second and this very hour. 
We don't know the plans for the future. We don't know what tomorrow or next week or next year are going to look like. So all you we have to do is just say, what does God want me to do today? How can I honor God with my family today? How can I honor God at work today? How can I be faithful today? A few weeks ago, I was driving and I went into a huge fog storm. And I've driven through fog a lot, but this was fog where I had to slow way down. I don't know what the visibility was, but it was hard to see the car that I was driving immediately behind as we were going just about 35 or 40 miles an hour down the road. And I thought, sometimes that's what following God is like. I can't see anything to the side of me. I can't see beyond about 10 feet in front of me. So what do I do? I can only see right here. I'm just going to focus on this. Sometimes life is so confusing that we can't see anything going on around us. And we can't see anything into the future. We're not sure what it will look like. So what do we do? We follow God just right here and right now. And if you're in a place where you're in a confusing time, you're in hardship, you're in trouble, you're in pain. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, I just want to encourage you that no matter what you're going through, God's call for you tonight and this week is to be faithful to him. To walk in obedience, even if you don't know the end result, even if you don't know where that will take you, that day by day, step by step, hour by hour, minute by minute, we can walk in faithfulness no matter what God has placed into our lives. God, we thank you that in the midst of confusing times, of trouble and difficulty, you stay the same. God, that we can rest on your character, on your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, your power through whatever season we are going through. God, I pray that you would teach us to be faithful amidst even the uncertain times of our lives, that amidst our confusion and anxiety and pressure, that you would be seen as great and honored and glorified by our simple acts of obedience, our acts of faithfulness. May we be found faithful even this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.